Well, I kind of told you eventually in this series, uh, we're going to get to some of those hopscotch sermons, where if you know the book of Proverbs, you know that for the, the bulk of it, it's a lot of one idea followed by a, a totally different idea, followed by a totally different idea, and so it's, it's hard to stick in one area in a subject like this, so there's going to be a lot of page flipping, so I'll, I'll try to announce ahead of time to, to get you uh, where you need to be. To start, go ahead and open up to Proverbs 3, and we're going to start uh, with one of the more well-known uh, uh, verses in, in all of Proverbs. But if you remember this series here, we've been talking a lot about wisdom. What is, what is wisdom? And really, at, at its foundation, it is to know and to fear God. And that means to have this healthy relationship with God, to realize that He is God and we are not. And we think we might know everything we need to know, but we don't. And God has in Himself all of the answers. So to know God, that, that we can rest in His Word, and that we seek His will, His divine purpose for all things in life. And then also, wisdom is to follow God. So when you know what he wants, then it's this, this obligation now to live that out as people, realizing that it is for our good and for his glory. Now this is difficult to do, because in, cho- in life we have all sorts of choices to make. And, and the ancients, again, uh, King Solomon being one of them, they understood life as kind of like this big journey in that you're always at these kinds of crossroads in life where you have two paths you can follow with your decisions. And one is the path of righteousness or, or what is good, what is right, or the path of foolishness and what is evil. And the further you go down a path, the more cemented you are in that path. And the reality is that all of us choose a path in our hearts. That's uh, from Proverbs 16.9, that in our hearts... People choose their course. And when you choose that course, it says that God will direct your steps. Living in God's will is really about choosing your path and then relying on God for his steps, that you would stay in that will. So today I'm going to break this down into five steps. It's going to be a lot of information, but five steps to follow God's will or to live in his will. And the first step comes from Proverbs 3, and that is to trust God's will. To trust God's will. This is actually the foundation of your faith. The foundation of salvation is to trust God above yourself. And this is spelled out clearly in verses 5 and 6. To trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Now, trust is admittedly a really hard topic for a lot of people, right? Because we've all had those experiences in our life where someone whom you love, someone you thought you trusted, failed you and hurt you. And it kind of builds this, this guard in our hearts that it's hard to trust people again, especially those that we love. And this is true with God, that we we have a hard time trusting someone, even when we love them. But the reality is that the the beginning of any path of wisdom and living in God's will is, is to trust Him above yourself. 
even though we'll never fully understand the will of God, what we do understand, we can trust. The word here for uh, trust is really interesting in the Hebrew. Because we often think of trust as like this mental fortitude. If I'm just, I'm really going to walk, I'm not going to deviate, I've made my mind up. But in reality, it's the opposite of that. Trust simply means to loosen your grip or, or to let go. And when we are scared in life, and let's be honest, there's a lot of scary things in the world that can make us anxious. But when we're scared, our tendency is to hold on to things with this white-knuckle grasp because we want to try to control it because in that moment, the only person we can trust is ourselves. But living in God's will is the opposite of that. It's the reality that we're not in control. And we have this trust in God that we can let things go to Him, that we trust Him, not with our mind, because it's pretty easy to change your mind. But you trust him with your whole heart. And this really means that you trust him with all of who you are. Every bit of you. Your desires, your perspectives. The heart was the central part of a person for the ancients. And so to trust in him with all your heart was to trust in him to the highest magnitude. You trust in God and all he has in his good and perfect will. And you lean not on your own understanding. And lean here again is kind of an interesting word. This doesn't mean to kind of be inclined in a certain area, but rather to find support from something, to to lean on something, kind of like a, a chair, which I have a really funny story. I might have shared this a number of of years ago, but it's too good not to share again because it fits perfectly with this concept of finding support in your life. And Manny and I took a vacation in the middle of January, and most people, that means you go to Florida, but you know that Manny and I uh, do vacation differently than most people. So we decided we got some time off in the middle of January, let's go up to the North Shore and go ice fishing. Not like in a hard-sided shelter, but like in a tent, right? And so we're out there on like this negative 20-degree day, and fishing is really slow. But there I am uh, sitting in my trusty camping chair. Had it for a decade. It's never failed me before. Nothing's happening for hours until finally this wave of fish comes in. Mandy catches a fish right away, and then I catch a fish. And when I set the hook on the fish, my chair breaks. And I'm on my back on the ice trying to fight this fish. And Mandy's coming over trying to help me. And she slips on the ice and kind of does like this Charlie Brown, you know, on her back. And we're just floundering on the ice. We look like the fish here, trying to catch this fish, which ended up not even being a very big fish. But it's this moment where I had this chair that for many, many years worked for me until it didn't. And it failed in a very spectacular way way. And that's what it looks like to lean on your own understanding. The way that you see the world, right? If this is your support system, it might work for you for a really long time until it doesn't. And when it fails, it will fail in the most spectacular way at the worst time. And it puts you in harm and it puts those around you in harm 
as well. Trusting in the will of God means you understand the danger of trusting in yourself, in your own understanding. And you're willing to let that go. Then in all of your ways, you submit to him. This means whatever God says, that's what you want to do. Not in some of the ways of your life, but all of the ways in your life. Because you trust God. And you're willing to let go of all that you hold inside of yourself. And when you do that, the payoff is in the last part of verse 6. That he will make your paths straight. And this is undoubtedly a reference to the forefathers of Solomon. Those who had been in the exodus of Israel, who for many generations were enslaved to the Egyptians, and God miraculously let them go. And what's interesting about that story is there was a direct path to the promised land that God would have taken them. But he says something interesting to to Moses. He says, I'm not going to take you into the direct path through the land of the giants because the people don't trust me. They don't trust me. They're going to see those giants and they're going to be afraid and they're going to turn around and go right back to where they came from and be back in the bondage of Egypt. And because of their lack of trust in God and their lack of obedience in God, they didn't submit to him in all things, they took this long, winding journey through the desert that lasted 40 years and went in circles and finally got, back, got to the promised land after the whole generation had passed. You see, when you trust in God's will, he takes you on the straightest route. It may not be the safest in your mind. It may not make sense, but he will take you where you need to be. So the first step, trust in his will. Trust in him above yourself. And when you're early on in your faith, you're going to find out that what you want and what you desire is probably going to be somewhat in conflict to what God wants and desires. And there's this continual renewing of yourself and dying to yourself that as you mature in faith, the hope is that those things align and what you want is what God wants. But you have to learn first to trust in him and to let things go and know that there's no better place to be than in his will. Now the second step to living in God's will takes it from the realm of theory, which is trust, to the realm of practice, which is is actively seeking God's will in all you do. That's in Proverbs 16. If you want to open up there. We're going to read just to start here, verses 1 and 2. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And so what this is saying is that you can ask God of anything, right? You should bring all things to God, but in the end, man proposes, but God disposes. We ask, and God answers. And there's kind of two levels to this in verses 1 and 2 that are important for us to understand. In verse 1, it says that we have a lot of plans in our heart, right? And we can bring all of these things to God in prayer, which is a great place to sort these things out. But God, from the Lord, comes the proper answer of the tongue. And what this means is that God gives an authoritative answer. 
because he can see the whole picture of what's going on in your life. And you might have your mind just made up of what you should do, but God may have a different answer because from him is the authority, the proper answer from the tongue. And the second part shows that it's, it's not just what you think you want to do, but also why you want to do it. Only God can examine a person's heart. And sometimes you might be on the right track in your mind, but for the wrong reasons in your heart. And that is just as important to God. The what and the why are equally important to God when it comes to his will. And so he can weigh the motives of your heart. And so all of this kind of comes around this idea that we're, we're often begging and pleading God for something in our lives. And, and in, in many ways, it's like, God, I know what I need, and your will needs to align with what I want. And when you bring things to God in prayer, amazing things happen. He answers you. And he can answer kind of in four ways. One of them is just, yes. Yep, exactly what you're asking for. That's what you're going to get. Another is, yes, but not yet. You're going to have to wait and be patient. Another might be, yes, but, but not in the way that you're asking or thinking. And the fourth answer is one that we receive many times, but we don't like to accept. No. No. God's answer sometimes to your prayer is, no. And that might be the most loving answer you can receive as you seek God's will. And I kind of look at it as like, you know, we are all children before God. And we think we know what we want and what's going to be for the best of us. But we don't. We don't. It's like the kid who's begging mom and dad for the pony. Please, mom, please, dad, I'll, I'll take care of it. It can live in my room and it'll be my best friend. And I want the pony. And the loving answer of mom and dad is no. Because they know what ponies do. And if it lives in the room, they know where it would do it, right? And it's this burden. is like they have the wisdom to say no. And when we bring things before God, it's, it's this reality that he may say yes, he may say no, but in all of it, we can trust him as we seek his will because he sees the whole picture. This is totally consistent in what Jesus taught. So much of what Jesus taught was straight out of the Old Testament. And this idea of seeking God's will is found throughout the Proverbs, certainly in, in, this, uh, in this, these verses here. But when Jesus gave us the model to pray, he gave us what we know of as the Lord's Prayer. And we all know this by heart, maybe in different ways, but our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name, your kingdom come. Now this is the part here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told us this is the way or the model in which we are to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever think about what that actually means? Because if you, if you know what that means, that's actually one of the scariest prayers we can offer up to God. It's this idea of whatever you want to do, God, whenever you want to do it and however you want it to be done, that's what I want. And I want it to be done here like it's done in heaven. 
You know, when, when God asks something to be done in heaven, when God something, when he wants something to be done, he doesn't check with his angels and their day planners and try to schedule things, right? When he says it, it happens. And when you pray in the way that the Lord's Prayer teaches us, that's, that should be the condition of our hearts. Whatever you want, God. I commit everything to you. And however you ask me to walk, that's how I'll walk. This is, this is the prayer that brings people to Africa. right? It's the, it's the prayer that, that makes you do something really uncomfortable. But that's the kind of prayer life that leads towards wisdom and walking in God's will. Seeking His will and committing all you do to God. All you do. What this means is that there's no electives in your lives when it comes to living in God's will. Every part of you should be given over to God. And if you know for sure that it's something you shouldn't be doing or you should be doing it differently, living in His will means doing it exactly that way. And God will establish or make permanent your plans. To trust and to seek are very close, but very importantly, different. To seek is to have this connection, this relationship with God, that in all things you come before Him, you give them to Him, and you walk in His ways. Now, the third part of this is where we start to work with one another. And that is to value or to pursue wise counsel from one another. And we're going to be looking at three different verses. You can open up to Proverbs 27 first. This is one you probably already have memorized anyway. But, but one important caveat here is that whenever you're making a choice or you're doing things, uh, you're seeking God's will in your life, there is no substitute for personal prayer and for personal study of his word. Because a lot of answers you need are, are going to be found through those two vehicles. And so you start there, but you continue with seeking wisdom from others through wise counsel. Now, we spoke last week that one of the trademarks of a fool is that they want to do everything themselves. They will seek isolation. They'll remove themselves from relationships, especially ones that will challenge them in godly ways. But the wise person is one who asks around and who gets perspectives from others. And as we see in Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And this is referring to a blade or a knife. And the purpose of a knife is to be sharp. We help each other find and live our purposes by sharpening one another. And the way this is done with iron is through a lot of friction. What this means is that when we seek counsel from one another, it can be hard and painful. We hear things we don't want to hear, or we discover things about ourselves we don't want to know. And we often avoid this simply because it can be painful. But counsel from one another is one of the things that's going to sharpen you and reach your purpose in the Lord. Next proverb is going to be from chapter 15. And it says this, that plans will fail for the lack of counsel. This is 15.22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
Now, the plans that are referred to here are like battle plans. And this is one of those things in your life where it's not so much what you are to do, but how you are to do it. So through your personal relationship with God, your understanding, maybe the trajectory or the path that you need to take. But how do you do these things? And this is where surrounding yourself with wise people really helps. And, and this is showing us that, that seeking wise counsel doesn't mean you ask around until you get the answer you want. And that's what we often do is you'll just go uh, serial conversations and then when you land on the thing that you wanted to hear from the beginning, that's the counsel that you go with. But it's really accepting the answer that you need. And I, I went to a Christian college, Crown College, as many of you know. Any of you go to Christian colleges here? Yeah? How many of you found your spouse at your Christian college? About half of the hands went back up. That's probably normal. And in Christian colleges, I found my spouse at, a, at, at Crown as well, but Christian colleges are notorious for, like, this is, this is your one shot to find a spouse. And, and uh, the, the saying is, is, ring by spring or your money back, right? And so people are on this mission to, to find their spouse. And, and one thing I remember, like, when I, when I think about this, the wisdom of this verse is one of my roommates uh, from my sophomore year definitely found his spouse, Right? And they started dating right before Christmas break. And we're like, we're like, yeah, this is the person you're going to marry. This is for sure. But he was gung-ho, now he's 19 or 20 years old, to marry her in May. And, like, and marry her before the, they're both going to be juniors and seniors after that. And he's asking around to all these people, like, good idea, bad idea. And all of us, five of us roommates are like, bad idea. I mean, you should marry her for sure. But like you guys are both going on internship next year, and it's just like this just doesn't seem like the right time to do it. But he kept asking everyone until he finally got the answer he wanted, which was, "Hey, if you know, you know. Why wait?" So he stuck with that. And after this, his junior year, he's like, "Okay, I can see why now we said we should probably wait." And they have this great marriage. They're both in the mission field, and they're doing wonderfully with kids. But it's this idea that oftentimes we know what we need to do, but we do it in the wrong way. And that's the value of counsel with one another. There's, there's wisdom and perspectives outside of you that can settle on good decisions. Flat, plans will fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. All right, the last bit on this. Well, that's just kind of quick here. This is in Proverbs 19. You go forward a couple chapters. Proverbs 19.20. It's not just about hearing advice that makes you wise. But as we read here, that you need to listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Don't just pursue advice, but listen to it and accept it. And the word here for discipline isn't what we'd normally think of. Like, it's not reactive discipline, like a, a spanking or a scolding, but this is often used in a corrective sense, kind of preemptive discipline, or more like course correction. So, like, if someone is telling you, hey, you're, you're kind of just veering off course here, but you need to come back, the wise person listens to that and accepts it. And the hardest thing for us to do is to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. But the wise person is able to hear this advice and accept 
the correction. Wisdom is not seeking the answer you want, but accepting the advice you need. And that's how we work together in all of this. That's why it's important to connect with others, as we talked about earlier in the service, building these relationships, surrounding yourself by wise people, and accepting their advice. Now, the fourth step, fourth of five steps today, you turn to Proverbs 21, next, probably the next page for many of you, is that we are to make our decisions carefully. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, it's important to note again that we're never going to know everything before we make a decision. And there's always a point in which you have to walk with a step of faith. But wise people have due diligence in their decision-making. Have you asked all of the questions? Have you thought about this from every angle? Or are you just running towards whatever you see first or whatever's the shiniest or whatever you feel in the moment? Because the plans of the diligent or those who think things through lead to profit, but hastiness leads to poverty. And the words profit and poverty are used a lot in the book of Proverbs. And it doesn't always mean monetary profit or poverty, but it can talk about your condition of life, your perspectives, your relationships, your position before God. You can be rich or poor in all of those things. But those who are rich in wisdom make decisions carefully. One example I uh, really pulled from this one is, is the example of Nehemiah. And if you know that story, uh, Nehemiah was this great man of God who was taken from his home. He was under the king Artaxerxes in Persia, and he received word about where his hometown of Jerusalem was, that all of the walls were destroyed and people were straying from God. And, and he knew that what God was calling him to do was to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild what God had built. Now, he could have just walked out. He was the cupbearer to the king in this high position. He could have just walked out of there without telling anyone, go to Jerusalem and just start rebuilding the wall. But he approached everything so diligently and carefully. He prayed about how he would talk to the king, because he was afraid the king was just going to kill him if he asked. But he talked to him, he was released, he went, he didn't just start rebuilding the wall, he, he studied it from moonlight in a cave and, and thought about this plan and this vision and brought these people around him and communicating things really well. And even in the face of opposition from his own people, his plans succeeded because he did everything carefully. And that's how we are to go about life, is ask all of the right questions and bring things before God and wrestle through all of the ins and the outs. And then when you know, you don't deviate, no matter what comes your way. And that's the last step today, to live without compromising. This is the principled life. Turn to Proverbs 11. That when you know what is right, do it. And then keep doing it. And don't compromise. Proverbs 11, 3. 
It says that the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now, the word for integrity here is, is also blameless, or the upright is, also means blameless. That This talks about Job in, in chapter 1 of Job 1.1, that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and he shunned evil. This means that Job knew what was right and what was wrong, that he had a life of integrity, that whatever was thrown his way, he didn't deviate from what was right. And for us, we, we always need to live that way. If we know what's right, even in opposition, you don't compromise, you don't give in. Even if it feels like we're doing all the right things, but we're losing, you keep going. And if we know that shortcut might get us ahead, we stay away from it. Because it says the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. This is people who might know what's right, but still choose what's wrong. Or duplicity might also mean those who are kind of two-faced. So they might be one way in front of people and a totally different way behind people. As people, we don't, as Christians, we don't have this, this church life and this personal life. That there's this integrity that who we are here is who we should be out there. And it will guide you without compromise. There are no electives in God's will. And when he speaks, he means it. If you know his will, do all you can to live his will. And there's no greater danger to yourself or to the church or to those around you than to willfully or ignorantly live outside of God's will. When you know his will, live it and live it without compromise. Because there's no greater place to be than in the will of God. To trust him, to let go of all the things you think you need to control, and to know that God's will is perfect, and he works all things together for the good of those who love him. To seek him, to actively seek him in everything you have, to prayerfully and relationally commit your life to God, and say, whatever it is that you want, that's what I want. And to pursue counsel, find wise and godly people you can trust to walk with you through these decisions of life, to make them carefully. Ask all of the right questions, not how does this make me feel, but how does this align with what God wants? And to live without compromise, to know what is right, and to do it and to not deviate. This is the way of wisdom and the way to live in the will of God, to fear God, to know God, and to follow God. Join with me in prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you that in all these, uh, in all of these things, that we have so many decisions to make and, and so much we can scrutinize over, but we have such a rich and wonderful resource and guide in you that we can bring all things to you, big and small. So I pray, Lord, that we be a people who are at peace and in contentment with your will, knowing that where we are, if we are in your will, that is exactly where we are supposed to be, and that whatever we have, if we are in your will, that is exactly all we need to have. So God, help us be a people that seeks you first, 
knowing that if we seek you and your kingdom, all other things in our life will be added unto us, that we can have this solid rock upon which we are built, that no matter what storms of life blow our way, we'll be strong in you. So God, I pray that all of this can be done through you and your mighty work. It does not come from us. It comes from you. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.